If you would, open your Bibles to Joshua 2 this morning. We're going to be finishing up our series today on, on Hebrews 11, uh, which is that chapter on faith. But let me tell you this while you're turning there. I, I've probably said this before, I'm sure, but I'm, and I'm sure I'll probably say it again. Uh, one of the things I really do appreciate about Scripture, uh, when I've read through Scripture and I come across narrative passages, is that God's Word does not attempt to cover up the faults of the people it portrays. You know, when we read about these people, so many of whom are listed as heroes of the faith in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, when we go back to the original stories, uh, you see those people warts and all. Every problem, every, every fault, every, every difficulty, God's word does not attempt to um, clean up their character to make them look like they were perfect individuals, to make them look like they never failed. You know, it's funny how sometimes, like, when I watch cartoons with my boys, uh, the good guys are always perfectly good, and the bad guys are always despicable. There, there's, never any, there's never any fault in any of the good characters on the cartoons. All the heroes are perfect heroes. But when we come to Scripture, we see the truth that all men are sinful, that every person is, is sinful, every person has faults, uh, but God still will work through that. I, I think it adds to the credibility of Scripture when we read it, and we see the fact that the biblical authors did not attempt to wash those things away, didn't attempt to uh, throw a bunch of bleach on the characters of these individuals to make them appear as if they were perfect. And I think it's also an encouragement to me, at least, I hope it's an encouragement to you, uh, that God can and will still use us even when we at times fail, uh, that, that God is a God who redeems. Uh, and so this morning, we're going to look at a hero of faith who really comes from a surprising background. She seems like a lady that you would think, how in the world is God going to use her? Hebrews eleven thirty one says it like this. It says, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. I want us to think about who that woman was, Rahab, and what her story was. And so in Joshua chapter 2, uh, we're going to study the life of Rahab, the, the brief section of Scripture that we see her acting in Scripture and doing anything in Scripture all comes in Joshua chapter 2. Now, this is about 40 years or so after the Israelites had crossed the Red Sea. If you remember that, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. Moses sent the spies into the Promised Land. They doubted. They did not believe God could deliver the Promised Land to them, so they wandered around for 40 years waiting for an entire generation of Israelites to die off. That's taken place now. Moses is dead as well. Joshua has taken command of Israel, and we get into the book of Joshua, and God gives the go-ahead. It is time to cross the Jordan. It's time to begin their conquest of the Promised Land, and they're about to begin the Battle of Jericho. And so this comes before what we talked about last week. You remember last week we studied that verse that talked about by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. And so this is before that, in the timing of events, this is before that. So first of all, let's see this. I want us this morning to see an unlikely convert. Look in Joshua chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It said, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shadim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. 
And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought, up, had brought them up to the roof and hid them with stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. And so suddenly into the story of Scripture comes this lady named Rahab. This unknown woman uh, enters the story. Now, if we look at the life of Rahab, we look at the person of Rahab, we will find out that her resume was not too impressive. It wasn't. I mean, let's think about it. First of all, she was a Gentile. So she was not a part of God's chosen people. Uh, Secondly, she was a citizen of Jericho. This was Israel's soon-to-be enemy in war. Strike number two. Strike number three, she's an Amorite, who were an extremely violent people, who were singled out in Scripture for their sinfulness, for their violence. And on top of that, we read that she was a prostitute. This is a terribly immoral woman. This is an R-rated life among an R-rated people. I mean, in fact, when we read, we, we constantly see that title tagged to the name. And so it's like her sin followed her around. She couldn't seem to shake it. She was defined by her sin. If anyone seemed like an unlikely convert in Scripture, it would have been Rahab. If anyone seemed like a person that would be way too far gone to be saved, to be a part of God's people, it would have been Rahab. Yet, we are going to read very shortly that she does profess faith in the Lord God And God brings her into his family. Now, you might be here today, and you might think to yourself that you are beyond saving. That you have sinned too much. You might say, Jeff, you don't know my sin. You don't know my past. You don't know my mistakes. I am too far gone. There's no hope for me. But let me tell you this. The story of Rahab makes beautifully clear that faith in the Lord can and will save anyone anyone, that regardless of your past history, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of how horrible the things you have done might be, God can and will save you. No one is beyond God's ability to save. I believe it was Henry Ford that used to have that saying, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. And there are times in life when that statement applies, but when it comes to salvation, that statement does not work. Because even if you think you can't be saved, truth is, Scripture makes clear that you can be saved. We can turn to page after page in Scripture and find stories of men and women that in an earthly sense seem too far lost, yet God saves them. I mean, I think to John chapter 4 when Jesus met the woman at the well. She was a woman who was very much like Rahab. She was an outcast. She was at the well at a time of day when she really shouldn't have been there, which kind of pointed to the fact that she was trying to avoid people. And as Jesus talks to her, he he, he reveals that she's been married five times and she's living with a sixth man. And so this would have seemed like a woman who could not have been saved, but yet she came to faith in Christ. I think about a man like like Saul in the book of Acts, a murderer, a persecutor of the church. One who, who even the believers were afraid of after he came to Christ. You remember after, after Saul became a believer, the, the, the church didn't want anything to do with him. They, they said, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute, this, this guy was the persecutor. But yet God saved him. And so let me tell you this, don't let your past cause you to believe that your future with God is impossible. Because it's not. It's not. Don't be discouraged by what your past is. Put your faith in God. 
You know, I read once that the devil was having a yard sale. And in this yard sale, he was going to sell all his tools that he used to keep people from Christ. It was quite the fiendish lot. There was hatred and jealousy and deceit and lying and pride, and they were all expensive, and he had them laid out all tagged with the price. But over in the corner, on display, in the most valuable tool of all to him, the one that was obviously the most worn was the tool of discouragement. When the devil was asked about that tool, he said, hey, if I can't get them with any of these other tools, it's discouragement I go to because I can always get them with discouragement. The devil will throw discouragement at you and will throw that thought that that God has given up on you, that God has thrown the towel in on you, but don't buy that lie. Salvation can be yours if you will turn to Christ, regardless of what your past mistakes are. Now, you might be sitting here today and you might be a believer, but you might know people who you think are too far gone. You, you might think of people you've seen on the news or, or people you've dri- driven by or a neighbor that you might think there is no way that God could save that person. Well, let me remind you of this little biblical truth. Before Christ, we were all Rahab. Now, our sin might not have carried the same label um, that, that it did for Rahab, but... And it might not have had the same earthly shame, but sin is sin. And that the smallest of sins separates us from God. And God saved us and brought us out of that sin. You know, sometimes we can spend so much time um, cursing the sinner when maybe God wants us to help that sinner be saved. I'm afraid too often we find it easier to identify sin in other people than it is to identify sin in ourselves. I think back to a story... Um, in 2 Samuel, whenever David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and then he had had Uriah murdered. Do you remember that story? And he was confronted by Nathan, a prophet of God. And Nathan begins to tell him the story about a rich man who had stolen the lamb of a poor man. And he gives this elaborate story where David becomes enraged. David begins to say, how dare that rich man do that? That rich man deserves to die. To which Nathan turns around, and it's one of my favorite lines in, in, that, in that, book, that part of Scripture, when he says, you are the man. And he reveals the fact that, that Nathan's, in David's heart, that David was looking at this sin externally and said, oh, that's horrible sin, but he refused to recognize his own sin. So often it's easier for me to see the sin in others and to think, no way, there's no way God can change them. And it mean, meanwhile, we ignore our own sin. But the Bible reminds us that we are all sinners. And apart from Christ, we are headed on a one-way path to hell and destruction. But just as Christ saved you, and just as Christ saves Rahab, he can save anyone. No one is beyond God's offer of salvation. Second point I want to make this morning, or I want us to see in this story, is an unexpected confession. Now the people of Jericho, they were idol worshipers, and we're about to see this idol worshiper, Rahab, Make a very surprising confession. Let's look in verse 8. It says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, 
And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now, when I first read this um, and studying this this week, what really jumped out to me was the timeline of what's mentioned in verse, verse 10. It said in verse 10 that we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Now, don't forget this. That was 40 years before. 40 years had passed since that time, but Rahab is still talking about when the Israelites crossed the Jordan or crossed the Red Sea and when the Israelites defeated those two kings. And I, th- I found it kind of ironic that the Israelites at that time were more afraid of the people of Jericho. But what they didn't realize is that the people of Jericho were more afraid of the Lord God. It said there that as soon as they heard it, their hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of what the Israelites were doing by the power of God. And so if the Israelites had kept their faith and trust in the Lord in that moment, they would have waltzed into Jericho 40 years before. They would have already been through and beyond Jericho into the promised land. But instead, they doubted. What a tragedy that their lack of faith kept them from the promised land for all those years when, in fact, God had already prepared the way. But also think about this. For 40 years, the people of Jericho had lived in fear of the Israelites. 40 years, they had had the opportunity to come to the Lord. 40 years, they had had that opportunity to confess that the Lord God is God. But instead, they didn't. That for the people of Jericho, all that came from it was fear, except for Rahab. Rahab makes that that profession of faith in verse 11. She says, The Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and in the earth beneath. You see, those, those citizens of Jericho, I believe, had heard the news of the Israelites with their ears, and they had reacted with fear. But Rahab heard that news not only with her ears, but she heard it with her heart. And she reacted with faith. And she was moved to a confession. She believed that the Lord God, this God of Israel, He was the one true God. She understood that her only hope was not to remain loyal to her people, not to remain loyal to her God. She is realizing at this point those gods are false. Her only hope was to put her faith in the Lord God of Israel. This is more than just a confession to say, hey, I believe that God is God. This is her putting her faith in God because she's about to hitch her wagon to the Israelites. She's about to put her life in the hands of this God, not these other gods. She's about to put everything on the line for the sake of the God of Israel. And this unlikely confession reminds me that salvation faith must be in the Lord God alone. That there is no other path to heaven except through the Lord of the Bible and His Son, Jesus Christ. All roads do not lead to heaven. All religions are not equal. All gods are not the same. Only the Lord of the Bible is God, and His Son's name is Jesus, and salvation comes only through that name, Jesus Christ. Rahab understood with her whole heart that this God was the true God, and that she must follow Him. Have you come to that point of understanding? Where you have said, my only faith, my only trust, is in the God of the Bible. It's not in my works. It's not in some other system. It is in the God of Scripture alone. Just as Rahab made that confession, so must we make that, must make that confession that the Lord God, the God of Israel, 
is the one true God, the God of all heaven and earth. Third, I want us to see an unwavering obedience. I believe this is a sign of, of Rahab's faith, that she not only believes these things and said these things, but she's about to put that faith into action. Look in verse, thir- in verse 12. We're going to read down through verse 22. It says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save me alive, my father and mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills... The pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if, his hand, if a hand is laid on him who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. And then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And so Rahab's faith was not simply in words. It was in deed. She begins to act on that. In fact, James talks about this in his letter, James chapter 2, verse 25. It says, In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And so what James is saying here is that Rahab's faith was not simply a matter of words, it was a matter of action, that her faith got to work, that her, her faith involved obedience, involved putting all she had on the line, even when it was risky, even when it might cost her something. Now, I don't know about you. I, I don't know how many of you are, are like risk takers. I don't know if anyone here in here loves to take risks. Um, I know Bart does. Bart wants to go skydiving. That's his dream in life, right? Actually, it's not at all. Um, uh, I'm not really a risk taker either. I like to do some like adventurous, risky things. I'm not. A, I'm not super huge into it. I know some people really are. Some people love being risky. In fact, there's there's whole industries that are dedicated to letting you take risks. I mean, things like skydiving, bungee jumping, um, all those type of adventure sports like that. I mean, it's just not my thing. I mean, I'll, I'll do some of that stuff, but I'm, I'm not big on it. But I found one the other day that I thought was kind of funny. Um, I, have you ever heard of, uh, of like, risky eating? There, there's a restaurant in Las Vegas called the Heart Attack Grill. Um, and I, I'll never go to Las Vegas, but maybe if you do, the Lord be with you. Uh, I, won't, I won't, you know, whatever. Um, but, but they're known for this. They're known for their flatliner fries, which are cooked in pure lard, for butterfat shakes, for no-filter cigarettes, and for a triple bypass burger, they call it. In fact, they have one better than that. It's a quadruple bypass burger, which surpasses 10,000 calories. 
Could you imagine trying to eat that? Ugh, gosh. There was a story here recently about a woman who was there and she was eating a double bypass burger, which was like lathered in cheese and bacon and all this kind of stuff. And she's smoking a cigarette. Well, while she's doing it, she collapses and goes to the hospital. <laughs> um, but the owner of the restaurant said that, said that, you know, he hoped that she fully recovered, but she got just what she asked for, a brush with death, death is what, what he said. And he said that, he actually said, he said, we attract thrill seekers. We attract risk takers. Um, he, he said the restaurant is bad, but it's fun. You know, I don't know if y'all are, are risk takers or not, but um, we do take risks every day. Every single day we, we do things that are, are risk and, and you know, um, but, you know, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to living out our, our faith, so often we have to take risk. We are placed with, deci- we have decisions placed in front of us in which we have to choose, am I going to be obedient to the Lord in this, even though it might cost me something, or am I not? I, I think about what Rahab did here and the risk that she took. I mean, she's already been interrogated by the king. Um, she's hid these spies. She sent the army out on a wild goose chase into the wilderness. Um, and all along, Rahab could have easily been discovered. She could have easily been found out. And let me ask you this. What do you think would have happened to Rahab the prostitute had she been discovered in that moment? They would have killed her in a heartbeat. She would have been labeled as a traitor. There was no value to her life, to those people. Um, her faith in the Lord led her to obey even though it was risky. She so trusted that God was going to have victory that she was willing to put her whole life on it. She was willing to walk away from her own people, walk away from her own God. She no longer trusted in that wall that her own house was even built into. She so trusted in the Lord God, she was willing to say everything is worth it. No matter what I have to do, it is worth it. Genuine faith obeys even when it's risky. You see, the question should not be how great is the risk when it comes to our obedience. The question should be how much do I trust my God? Then when God places something in front of us, the risk isn't what matters. It's the God who calls us to that action. And we must be like Rahab in that when we say we have faith in God, we must be willing to place it all on the line even when it's risky. Because which one is the greater risk? To faithfully obey God or to fall under His judgment? Which one is the greater cost? Which one is the greater risk? To faithfully obey or to miss out on the opportunity to be used by God? You you tell me. Last thing I want us to see this morning is an unanticipated outcome. Flip over to Joshua chapter 6. I want us to see the, the concluding paragraphs on Rahab's life. Now, she comes up a couple other times in Scripture, but this is kind of the last we see of her life in action. Everything else from that is just her name in a list. Those spies escape. You know, later we find out the Battle of Jericho takes place. God brings the walls down, as we read last week. The Israelites march around in a parade around the city once a day for six days, then seven times on the seventh day. Sound trumpets, walls come down. Joshua chapter 6, verse 22. The walls have just come down. In verse 22 it says, But the two men who had spied out the land... Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been the spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who had belonged to her. And they brought out all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. 
verse 24, and they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Now this is my favorite part of the story of Rahab. And you might know this already, but I'll just go ahead and say it anyway. Um, you, you might would think that a woman like Rahab would come into the people of Israel and she would always be a second-class citizen. You know what? Hey, Rahab, you're lucky to be alive. You got out by the skin of your teeth. If it hadn't been for, for you doing that with the spies, we would have killed you in a heartbeat. But you know what? We're just going to let you live out your days. You and your father's house, y'all are going to set your tent out out here. Don't bother us. Don't, don't, don't be a nuisance to us. Just stay quiet. You'll be okay. Just, just You're always on the outskirts. But the truth is, is that she wasn't just a second-class citizen. She became a part of the people of Israel. She didn't just survive the fall of Jericho. She became a genuinely a part of God's people. But it gets better because Rahab the prostitute was a prostitute no more. Because when she becomes a part of the people of Israel, Scripture tells us that she married a man named Salmon. That's a good name, right? But they had a son by the name of Boaz. You might recognize that name. Boaz later married a lady by the name of Ruth. She was a Moabite, another pagan woman who God brought into that family. They had a son named Obed, who in turn had a son named Jesse. Jesse had a lot of sons, but the youngest son was a man by the name of David, who became the king of Israel. And what's even more spectacular than that, when you think about the story of Rahab, is that Rahab's story did not end there. But the king of Israel, David, long on down the line, came another king, Jesus. And the most spectacular part of Rahab's story is this. Despite her past, God made a masterpiece of her future. God took this mess of a woman and made her into a, a lady whose descendant is the savior of the world. That's the story of faith. Through faith, God redeems our stories. God can make a masterpiece out of your life. I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't care the mess that you have made. If you will place your faith in Jesus Christ and trust in Him, He can turn that mess into a masterpiece. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank You for the story of Rahab. What a blessing it is to hear of this, this lady who, though she came from questionable past, though she had definitely made mistakes, she was most definitely a sinner just like we were, just like we are. God, you made her through your grace into a masterpiece. You brought her into your family and you even chose by your creative genius to have her be a part of the story of Jesus. God, how we love that. That there's not a soul in this room that is beyond your saving power and that you can take us regardless of our past and you can give us a future that is bright, that is honoring to you. Father, I pray that if there's someone who needs to have their story rewritten today, they've never 
put their faith in Christ. They've never received the forgiveness of sin that only you offer. I pray that today would be that day that they would turn to Jesus for salvation. And I pray that when we come to this time of invitation that you would burden their hearts, that they would walk this aisle so that we can talk more and pray with them and help them to know that they know that they know that they have eternal life with you. And Father, if there are others in this room who need to make decisions of any kind at this time of invitation, I pray that you would give them the courage to do so and step out of the aisle to make those decisions public. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your care. We thank you for the life-changing power of the gospel. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Just stand as we sing the song invitation.